We're in the book of James. And we're in verse number 13. So I made mention, kind of deviating a little bit, but we'll get back in Luke chapter 11. But uh, last Sunday, uh, Wednesday, uh, we briefly made mention of this text. And I just thought it would be good for us to kind of uh, dig a little bit into it and see exactly what the Word says about uh, this particular issue. We know that uh, James uh, was a man of prayer. And we know this by uh, not only the, 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 his writing, but uh, also uh, extra biblical sources help us to uh, understand how much of a man of prayer he was. Uh, it's been said that James would uh, get up uh, early and he would go to the temple and he would go into the temple to pray. And it's been said that James would pray for the forgiveness of the sins of the people there in Israel. Uh, he was well known by, and had a reputation that he was a man of prayer. And they would hear him on a daily basis crying out to God on behalf of the people there. It's also uh, has been said that uh, because of his kneeling, that his knees would be, become so callous that uh, he was known as old camel knees because he was on his knees pleading out and praying for his people. I don't know about you, but I'd like to have someone praying for me like that. And so he, we know that James was a man of prayer. We see here uh, in this book, we're at the end of the book of James, we see that he makes mention of prayer. We also see that in verses uh, 13 through 20 uh, in chapter 5 here, that in those verses, prayer is mentioned seven times. We also recognize the fact that Paul in the seven of the letters, uh, that he ended that uh, talking about or even giving a prayer. We see that in Hebrews, uh, the writer of Hebrews ends uh, that book uh, talking about and uh, engaging in prayer. We also see it in the book of Jude. Uh, at, uh, as they close that book out, uh, that it ended with references to prayer. We see it all. Jesus, as we've already been uh, looking at the last few Wednesdays that we've had together, we see that Jesus was a man of prayer. We see that his disciples, that of all the questions they could ask him, they asked, Lord, can you teach us to pray. And so we see that the Bible is uh, quite uh, well versed in talking about prayer, giving demonstrations of prayer, talking about the power of prayer. And so I think it would be wise for us, and we've already talked about this, but we just need to be reminded that we need to be known as people of prayer. Matter of fact, it says, talking about the church, that it should be a house of prayer. And so James here is finishing out and he's talking about uh, prayer. Uh, I, I came across uh, some uh, illustrations here and, uh, that I've gotten, but there was a book 
still is a book, uh, that it's uh, uh, too busy not to pray. And in this book, the author talks about that prayer to us is unnatural activity. Then he goes on to try to uh, prove his point. And as I started reading that, I said, you know, that makes sense. He, he says, even from birth, we are taught that we can do things. We're taught about self-sufficiency. We're talking about that uh, oh, we, we don't need help, that we can do it. And, and, and I started thinking about this, and uh, I've noticed that many of us have read those stories to our children and our grandchildren, like the, the little uh, train that was trying to get up the mountain, and, and it would say, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. And so our children are hearing, I think I can, I think I can. When your grandchildren or... Uh, your, uh, your, your sons and daughters when they started walking, you know, and of course they would fall. And what would we do? We'd say, oh, get up. You can do it. You can do it. Get up. You can do it. And then when they were in sports, we, we would cry out and say, and say, hey, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. And so all through our life and in our developing years where we're told we can do it, we can do it. But then when it comes to prayer, we have to realize we can't do it. No longer do we say, I think I can, I think I can. Matter of fact, that's the reason why many of us are, are in troubles that we get into because we think we can when the things that we need to understand, especially when it deals with our faith and when it speaks about the spiritual matters, we have to come to realize we can't, but He can and that's when we cry out to Him in prayer. We have to realize, I am weak, but He is strong. And so He says, prayer, it just doesn't come natural. We also see that there's hindrance to our prayers. See, Satan does not want us to be praying people. And so that's what he does. Uh, he does everything he can to distract us. Ever had a situation like this? You're, you're determined, I'm going to pray. So you get down, you get your, find your little place or you get in your, uh, somewhere where nobody can interrupt and you start praying. Man, you start off pretty well, but you're about two or three minutes into it and you're starting to think about, I got this appointment next week or I, got, I mean, uh, what am I going to fix for dinner? Or, uh, and and, and uh, where does that come from? It comes from Satan because he wants to do everything he can to hinder you from praying because Satan knows... When God's people get busy about prayer and take it seriously and are intentional about their prayer life, He knows that they now have found the key to unlock the power of God. And that's exactly what prayer is, is it not? We're unlocking the power of God working in our lives and the life of our church. And so we come to this text. Now, the first thing that we see, uh, we're in verse number 13. Listen, it says, Is any among you afflicted? So he's asking a question. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Now, that's just kind of to the point, isn't it? If there's anybody afflicted, you need to pray. But notice here, Jim Elliott said it this way. Jim Elliott, one of the great missionaries of times past. He says, if you are a, a person who advances on their knees will never retreat. 
See, that's how we advance on our knees. Asking God for His strength, for His power, and for His will to be done in our life. And so, he says, let him pray. Now, I find it interesting. Maybe I'm the only one here tonight. But here we are, we're, we're starting this section here talking about prayer. But then notice what the next part says. Is any Mary, let him sing psalms. And then when you get in verse 14, he picks up about talking about prayer again. Now, watch this. Was, that, was not, that was not on accident. That was intentional. He's talking about prayer. And right there in the middle, before he keeps on talking about prayer, he talks about singing. Why is that? Because we need to understand Prayer is an act of worship. Remember when we were in Luke chapter 11? Remember the first half of that prayer? Who did it deal with? It dealt with a holy God. It dealt with His kingdom. It dealt with His will. Remember Jesus is teaching to pray and He says, here's how you start your prayer. You start giving glory to God. You start praising God. And so when you're praying, you are worshiping because you come to realize, as we talked about last week, that He is our source of everything that we need. And so we're praying, uh, and then He says, okay, if there are any among you that are merry, start singing. Now, what does this all have to do? Well, we see the best example that we could come up with is found in Acts. We all know the story. In Acts, it talks about, uh, it talks about Paul and Silas. You all know the story. Uh, in verse number 25, uh, it, it talks about uh, that they were, of course, in jail. And then it says they were, they were praying. And about the midnight, they started singing. Now understand, they're in jail, right? Now, I don't know if you've been in jail or not, and I've, I've, I've visited there uh, for ministry's sake. I want you for ministry's sake, okay? And I, I didn't, I mean, you know, I was in there a couple hours and I got to go home. I haven't spent any lengthy time in prison or in jail, but I just got this ideal it's probably not a place where you're just going to bust out in song. Oh, yeah, I'm in prison. Oh, I got a bunk mate who killed four people. Hey, hey, thank you. I don't think that happens. But Paul and Silas start singing. Why are they singing? They are worshiping. See, here's what we need to understand. Worship it should be a spontaneous. Worship shouldn't be determined on how well you feel that day or that everything's going well in your life. 
Worship ought to be automatic because we've come to realize no matter what I'm going through, God is my source. God will deliver me. God will meet my needs. Even though it doesn't seem like it, I'm still praising His name. And if I can't find anything else to praise Him for, I can at least praise Him for my salvation. And to know that I, when I die, I'm going to be in heaven for all eternity. Just in that self should keep you busy for quite a while. And so he says, they, they, if you're merry, go ahead and break in song. But then he picks up after he talks about it. Now before we move, I, I came across this little article. Back in 111 A.D., there was a Roman emperor... And this Roman emperor was writing a letter to one of the other uh, governors or, or someone else there in the, in the uh, Roman Empire. And he made mention, and apparently the church was getting a pretty good reputation then. And so this Roman emperor who was writing to a, a colleague of his says, and he's talking about believers, he says, I've noticed that they show up before the sun rises. And I've also have heard that they are singing verses. And they're singing these verses as a hymn unto Christ as God. See, we've always been known as a singing people. Why is that? Because we have something to sing about. And so uh, we, we see that singing is nothing uh, strange to the church. The church has always uh, been a place where they would sing. But here's the contrast. After A.D. 70, we all know what happened in A.D. 70. After A.D. 70, Jerusalem, of course, uh, was uh, taken. The temple was destroyed. If you go to an Orthodox Jewish synagogue today, they do not have music. After A.D. 70, there is no music in the synagogues. Still today. Why is that? Because their faith rested upon bringing the sacrifices. There's no longer any sacrifices brought. And also, their salvation was based upon what they were able to do that they're not able to do now. See, that's what separates, that's not the only thing, but that's one of the things that separates us uh, from uh, the Orthodox Jews today is that if this building, God forbid, if this building was to go and vanish or be totally destroyed, we would still have something to sing about because our faith does not rest in a building. Our faith does not rest on our rituals. Our faith rests upon Jesus Christ who's alive and alive and well forevermore. And so, oh, we're a singing people. Now, he picks back up. Okay? Look at verse, going into verse number 14. Here again, he's asking some more questions. What's the question? He says, is there any sick among you? That word sick is a word that was used uh, that means without strength. But also that word sick was also used by Mary and Martha when they described the condition of Lazarus. 
Remember the story? Lazarus sick. And then they kind of fussed at the Lord because the Lord didn't come. Lord, if you'd came, he'd have been healed. He was sick. We called you when he was sick, but you didn't show up to after he was dead. Same word used. But we also see this word sick is used for Dorcas. Remember Dorcas? It said that she was sick, and of course, she died. Epaparitis. He uh, was referred to as that he was uh, sick unto death. Didn't die, but he was sick unto death. Same word used. So when we're saying that, and this is, or any is sick, he's not asking if you just got a cold or you got, uh, you know, a hangnail. He's talking about if you're really sick. He says, if, is there any sick among you? Then he goes and gives the instructions. If you are, this is what you need to do. Let him call for the elders of the church. Now, the word, uh, first of all, notice, the person that was sick was the one that called for the elders. Okay, did you catch that? They called for the elders of the church. Now, what were the elders back in the time here of, the, of, of, of Jesus' time? The elders were ministers. They were in leadership positions within the church. And they would exercise pastoral duties. Now, we do not have elders we have deacons. Same responsibilities here. So, elders, deacons. All right? So, they, they're calling. What, who are they? They're calling on the leadership of the church. Okay? And why are they being called? Because they are representative of the church. And if they're representative of the church, then they're also representative of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. See, those of us who are servants, and by the way, the word servant means every one of you there are believers. We're all servants. And no matter what you do, we are representing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, what's this? Now, we want to have a good reputation. We don't have to, well, we want to have a good name, right? I mean, don't you, you know, when you talk about your church, don't you want people to say something good about us? Of course we do. But here's the, and we'll say things like, don't you embarrass the church. And that's good advice. But my dear friend, it goes even further than that. We're representing our Savior. We're representing the Holy One. And we don't want to do anything that would cause embarrassment to His name. And so we call, they're calling the elders. And, and so they're coming. Now, when we're dealing with the, uh, the leaders, we uh, see that there are other things that they're to be about. We see, first of all, uh, that uh, notice there, the procedure that's taking place here. He says, uh, I've got to go back. He says, call the elders and let them pray over him. 
So what are they instructed to do? The person who says, hey, I, I, want, the, I want the elders of the church to come pray over me. So now they have come and they're praying over the person who has requested the prayer. Hang on. So they're praying over him. And, and, and what, what are they praying over? Here again, they're representatives of the church, which means they're representative of the Lord Jesus. That's the reason why I said uh, Wednesday that uh, when we lay hands on someone, it's not our hands that do any healing. It's the mighty hands of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what we are doing, we're just simply representing Him. It amazes me how people would fall in to these who say that they're faith healers. I saw not just too long ago where they were having a healing service somewhere, but it was on a Thursday night. Now, the first thought, I thought, okay, is that the only time you can get healed on Thursday night? Hey, when we come to church, it ought, we ought to have this mindset, it's a healing service every time we meet. Why? Not because we've laid hands on them, but because the Lord Jesus, who is the healer of all, is always present when God's people meet, right? All right. So, so he goes on and he says uh, that the elders of the church lay hands on them, and then he says, and anoint them with oil. So, Got to go back in the time. We see that this was also in reference to, remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The Good Samaritan came by and of course he stopped and he, he was taking care of this injured man. And then the Bible tells us uh, there in Luke chapter 10 verse number 34 if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? So what I got up on the board there? Y'all awful quiet. I'm telling you right? It's, is that the text, Luke? It's not up there. Why is it not up there? Apparently we need healing for our PowerPoint. <laughs> it's up there. Is, it, is that the text? Right? Okay. Now I'm, not, I'm questioning because I'm not sure of myself sometimes. <laughs> Good Samaritan, the Bible says that he took bandages and he poured oil and wine into the wound. Now, what does that mean? That means when you go back into uh, the times of Jesus, that the oil apparently had some healing properties about it. Now, you got, hang on. We're going to connect the dots here. So... They're, they're anointing him with oil and they're bandaging him up. Back in this time, oil was used as a medicine. Okay? Now, we understand, fast forward to where we're at today. Do we still think it's biblical if someone requests to be anointed with oil? Of course, it's still in Scripture. But watch this. That oil today didn't necessarily have the same properties that they were using it for back then. Today, we have modern medicine. 
See, there are some who th- they call themselves they're, they're people of faith. And I'm not questioning that, but I do question when they say that they have a sick young and that they're just going to go ahead and uh, pray over them and not take them to the doctor. That's not what the text is saying. The text is saying that we do not have the faith in the oil. We have the faith in the one who is the great healer the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, you catch it? And so, if you're sick today, you're going to go and get some antibiotics from your doctor. And we say, well, I just think that's... uh, I even had somebody tell me this. She was very distraught over that. She was very sick and her family believed that they could just pray for them and you should pray for somebody sick. I'm not saying that, but they said you don't need to go. And they told her, this is what they told her, if you go to the doctor, you're showing a lack of faith. I thought, that's insane. Because God, He can, He listen, He can use oil, He can use dirt, He can use spit, He can use antibiotics. And we acknowledge that many times over, the medicine will heal us, but we don't put our faith in that. We're putting on our faith that the ultimate healer is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He gave wisdom to the pharmacist. He gave wisdom to the doctors and know how to use the medication. And so all healing comes from God. If you lay hands on them, or if you anoint them with oil, or you tell them to go to the doctor and get a good steroid shot. All healing comes from Him. And that's what He's saying here. And, but He goes on, and we see it in Acts, uh, uh, another case where Paul laid hands on someone and prayed for them. Now, because uh, of time's sake. And so uh, He says, okay, you anoint them with oil, and, uh, and notice who, uh, in the name of of the Lord. Did you catch that? They were not putting their stock in, or their faith in the oil or the laying of hands because it says here what they're doing, they're praying it in Jesus' name. When I go to the hospital, I also, I'll pray for someone. I'll always say, make mention of the doctors and the nurses. And, and I'll make mention of, that you use medication many times over. But we're not putting our faith in that. We're putting our faith that the Lord is the ultimate healer. And if He so chooses doctors and nurses, all glory still goes to Him. If he so chooses to go ahead and use uh, the medication that you get at your pharmacy, all Glory goes to him. If he decides to, uh, if you anointed someone and you laid hands upon him, if he so will, all glory goes to him. That's what he's saying here. All glory goes to him. And that's when he goes on and talks about, that's why we're talking about a prayer of faith. Now our prayer of faith, watch, our prayer of faith is not based on the outcome of our prayer. It's based upon him. Our faith. What happens? Somebody's come down. We've anointed them. Whoa, we laid hands on them. We've been praying for that person for a long time and they still died. Well, my dear friend, remember in Luke chapter 11, it says when we're praying, we're praying in His will, not our will. Are you catching? You see how this is working now? 
And, and, and so here, when we're praying, what's the use of praying? We keep on praying for them. But we're praying for God's will. What do you mean? You mean it's God's will for someone to die? Could be. I've been around sick people who have terminal illnesses, suffered. I mean, it was, it was, it was horrible to watch them. And prayers start changing when somebody's terminally ill. You ever notice that? We start out and say, oh God, would you heal him? Would you heal him? Would you heal him? And the healing doesn't come. We still pray and pray and pray. And then when we see they're getting worse and worse, here's how our, our prayers say, Lord, your will be done. When we should have been praying the first, you know, the, before we even started praying, we ought to be praying in his will. It could be that he's taking them because they've suffered long enough. See, we're selfish in our prayers. And, I, and listen, I, I'm not saying that you were not praying for him. I, I, and I've told you the story about my dad. But I, I'm telling you, many of you can tes- have testimony tonight that you changed your prayer because of a loved one that you prayed for. And then you said, Lord, would you just go ahead and take them on home? Listen, for a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so we don't base on the, or if they get healed or not. We base it upon Who's in charge? She's making. Watch. Lord, Lord, would you heal them? And what do we want to do? We want to see them healed now. But what happens later on? Unless the rapture takes place, they're going to die. Right? We start praying God's will. Someone's sick. Lord, if it's your will, would you heal them? Lord, if it's your will, but Lord, your will be done in their life. And say the Lord goes ahead, takes them on home. My dear friend, they got the ultimate healing. Because when they get healed and they're there, they'll never die again. You see the difference? We're so fixated on the temporal things. We're so fixated on our selfishness. And I'm not saying, well, uh, you mean you ain't supposed to... That's not what I'm saying. I'm just telling you in our prayer life, we're selfish. And I'm not saying that it's an easy thing to do to pray God's will. Because we want to be in charge of everything, don't we? We want God to do what we think ought to be done. But here... Notice in 1 John, 1 John, in 1 John 5, he goes and tells us, and we're reminded here, in 1 John 5, verse number 14, it says, We have this confidence, confidence that if we ask, we can have confidence that when we ask in prayer, God's going to take care of it. But did you notice what the verse says? If we ask in His will. And that's where many of us struggle. I'm included. But here's what we have to come to grips with, especially in our faith. And basically what it is, I just don't know if I could pray, Lord, just do whatever it takes to. That's a hard prayer. I've had to pray for my children. 
God, whatever you've got to do, do it to get their attention. That's a scary thing. It's a scary thing. When we're praying for physical healing, it's a scary thing. It says, Lord, whatever your will is. If that means you need to go ahead and take them now, you go ahead and take them now. That's a hard thing to do, isn't it? But don't we come to the understanding that God knows what He's doing? It's very simple. We either believe He knows what He's doing or we don't believe it. And if we really believe that God knows what He's doing and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, His ways are more excellent than our ways, then we're going to be able to pray a prayer of faith. Lord, Your will be done in their life. Now, Lord, we'd like to see Him healed, but if You have other plans, we give You praise and glory for what You're going to do for them. So here, and there's so much more to say. And I'm learning as I go about my prayer life and how inefficient I'm in my prayer life because I'm just kind of selfish. And I think many of you are as well. What's a prayer of faith? Not on the outcome, but on the one who holds it all, who knows it all, and knows what's best for each one of us here tonight.